This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Jonah chapter 2 is where we're at today. If you have a Bible, it's good. Follow along, please. If not, make sure you let us know if you don't have a Bible. We will make sure that you get a Bible. Uh, or we can tell you some really good ones to get. But why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you so much for your word and the way that it leads and guides us. Lord, we're also thankful for the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the confession from Jonah. Lord, we want to cling to that hope. Whether or not we've been saved for 50, 60, 70 years, or whether or not we're brand new to the faith. Lord, you are the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. And we know that we stand before you because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you for redeeming and saving us. And, Lord, we, as we turn to your word, you, we pray that your spirit would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, does the story of Jonah in chapter 2 take a weird turn of events for you as well? Are you kind of shocked? Because uh, I think if you thought about it for a moment, you would be. I, I'm actually shocked when I go from jap- chapter 1 to chapter 2 that we're here. After all, if we think about it, we've got a man, we've got a prophet, one who stands up and proclaims the Word of God and is anointed by God to do this. He's, he's one of God's special people who comes and proclaims the word of the Lord. He's just like you and I. He is redeemed. He is saved. He is anointed. And yet, he, he does not follow the command of God. He rebels against the clear command of God, and he runs from his presence. And then God chases him down, goes after him, pursues him, pursues him with a violent wind and a violent storm and the, we- and the wind and the waves crash around him. And then the last thing we hear, Jonah is picked up, thrown into the sea, and there's a big fish that comes along and eats him. The fact that there is a chapter two is a shock. It should shock you because you should not expect that if a big fish comes along and eats you, that there will be a second part of your life. But there is for Jonah. The reality is that when we come to chapter 2, Jonah becomes a living example of the fact that God saves sinners. Amen. <laughs> it's good that God saves, saves sinners, and it's, it's all too easy to get down on Jonah. We spent a lot of time looking last week at the guilt of Jonah and the fact that, that even the, the, uh, the, the righteousness of the Gentiles far exceeded the righteousness of this prophet. But... It's all too easy to forget that we do exactly the same thing at times. And so did Israel. Israel did very similar things, and this is who this message is really going out to. So the text has a wonderful message for those who feel like they can't live up to God's standards. They don't feel good enough. They don't feel worthy. 
They don't feel like it's possible for God to accept them. Whether or not that's, that's the case for the fact that they haven't come to God yet, if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, if, if you feel like there's a resistance there because you don't feel good enough, I've got good news for you. None of us are good enough. God accepts you on the basis of His love and His mercy and on that alone displayed in the work of Jesus Christ. But oftentimes, as Christians, we go through these ebbs and flows, don't we? We go through these periods of life where we feel like we're anointed by the very power of God and where things are going swimmingly and and everything is wonderful and our prayer life is amazing and we feel like God meets us where it's at and our prayers are being answered and we lay hands on people and they get better and we go out and we evangelize and people come to faith and everything is just amazing. And then there are other periods of our lives where we don't even feel like we can go to the Lord in prayer because we've sinned. And it's in those moments where we're tempted to do the exact same thing that Jonah does, and that is run, flee from the very presence of God. We should be doing the exact opposite. And so whether or not you're still somebody who's, who's on the outside looking into Christianity and going, I just don't measure up. I don't live up to the expectation, so I can't yet come. I've got to clean up my life before I can come to Jesus. Or whether or not you're one of those Christians who just doesn't feel like you're in a very good season at the moment. You don't feel like God is close to you. You don't feel the presence of the Lord. Jonah is good news to you because salvation belongs to the Lord at the beginning and at the end. We think about Israel for a moment. Now, you'll remember that Jonah is on a mission. Jonah has a job. He's been sent by God to go and proclaim, essentially, destruction to Nineveh. And, but Jonah knows why. Jonah knows all too well that God is sending him there, not because they're going to be destroyed, but because God is gracious and merciful, and that he is going to rescue Nineveh. He's upset. He's upset because he knows of, of uh, statements like this from Amos. He says, surely, so Amos chapter 9, verse 8, surely the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom. This is talking about Israel. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet, I will not totally destroy it, he says. So there's this, this initial proclamation from God that, that he's looking down upon Israel. And Amos is this book where God says, I'm going to wipe you out, Israel. You're gone. You are going into judgment. And yet, if you're Israel and you're hearing this good news about Jonah, you should see Jonah as your embodied example. The nation of Israel was known all too well for being a nation that ran from the princes of God, that seemed to run to everything else. They ran to the Baals, they ran to the other gods, and they would worship them, and they would give offering to them. They would go to the high places instead of coming to the God that loves them. Jonah runs from God, and yet he's shown mercy. And this is what Amos says to Israel, this exact same message. He says, yet I will not I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command and I will shake the people of Israel among the nations. Its grains shall be shaken into sieves. And not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not come or overtake me. In that day, he says, I will restore David's fallen shelter. 
I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins, and I will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom, all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do this thing. So God basically says to Israel, you are worthy of judgment. I'm definitely going to judge you. That's coming. You're going to die. Israel is going to be destroyed. And yet, in this declaration of righteous judgment, where God actually judges Israel righteously for its sins, they get that which is due to them, God remembers mercy. He remembers kindness. He remembers grace. And this is exactly what Jonah finds as well. Jonah chapter, one, chapter 2 verse 1 says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep of the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You heard me in the depths. Into the very heart of the sea and the currents world about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. And so this is, this is what Jonah finds. He finds that when he's thrown into the sea, perhaps with this idea that he was finally going to get away from the presence of God, he's, that's what he's been running from, he finds when he gets into the sea that actually God delivers him. Then he calls out in the midst of the fish in his distress, he, he called to the Lord. Now, this is really interesting because where else have we, we seen this idea of being called? He obviously came, he was told by God that he was to call out to Tarshish. Sorry, he was to call out to Nineveh. And then he was called upon by the captain of the sea who would tell him to call out upon his God. And in both of those times, he actually reneges on that. He doesn't seem like he, he does those things. And now, when he's in trouble, he calls on the Lord. Better late than never, I say. In fact, in fact I think that too often we, have, we feel way too self-righteous in those moments where we feel like we've, 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 done a, we've sinned in such a way where God might not accept us now. In those moments, if you ever feel like that, you've missed the entire point entirely. Not only because God will accept you, but because it was never on the basis of your good works and your effort that God accepted you anyway. And so it's better late than never to come to the Lord. And this is what Jonah finds. He finds that the Lord actually does redeem him. And he feels like he's, he's not only been redeemed, but he's been redeemed from the dead. He knew that, that going into the sea meant sheer death, particularly in this moment. And he's held into the deep. I think it's amazing to think that God hears him in the depths of the sea, in the belly of a fish. Because this was one of the, the significant things about the, the silliness of Jonah, who's determined that he's going to flee from the presence of the Lord. Where can you go? You can't, you can't flee from the presence of the Lord. He's going to be wherever you are. And that was both uh, bad news for Jonah, and it's very good news for Jonah, because God hears him in the belly of the fish in the, in the sea, in the depths of the sea. And he's heard. He said, 
I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look towards your holy temple. This is quite a statement from Jonah. Where is he? In the belly of a fish, at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. And he's saying, despite the fact that I have been, I've been barred from your sight, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. How quickly his attitude changes when he realizes that he is the one who actually needs God. This guy not too long ago was trying to run from the presence of the Lord. He would have given anything to have been banished from the gaze and the sight of the Lord. Not now. Not now that he is in distress. And the idea is that he's supposed to be getting an appreciation for the, the call that's on his life. He's supposed to be getting a really good understanding of the fact that, that he has been, he's been given a task to go to Nineveh and to cry out to it and to, and to demonstrate the mercy of God upon Nineveh. And he's not banished from the sight of the Lord completely. He says, despite that fact, I'm going to look towards your holy temple. This is a, an idiom of the day to say that I'm going to look to where God has located himself. That's where I'm going to look. That's where I'm going to set my affections. Because you've got to remember that, that in Israel's day, God was specifically located before the destruction of the first temple. He specifically locates his glory in the temple. And so if it, it was true that if you, if you wanted to go where God was, you would go to where his temple is. And I, so I think that Jonah gets a really good, has a really good story for us here as well. He looks to where he knows God has promised to be. And I think we fail at that too sometimes. I think we go looking for God for in all kinds of weird and wonderful places. When I just don't feel like God is present, when I don't feel like I'm having my prayers answered, when I feel like I'm too distant, we try to go looking for God in all such a weird and wonderful places. But where has he promised to be? Where has he promised to make himself available to you? Well, he, first of all, you have the Spirit living within you. You are the living temple of God. God has specifically located himself within his people. But more than that, he has promised to be in his word. And he's promised to make himself available to you in prayer and in the sacraments and in the, the fellowship of his people. This is actually why Christians who are in those depths of despair shouldn't leave the means of grace, but rather they should run to them and cling to them and look to them. They should take them up and use them because that's the attitude of somebody who is understanding that although they deserve to be banished by God, they're actually seen by God. They're actually loved by God. They have the mercy of God. They've been rescued by God. And so I'm going to go to the place where God has promised to be. Verse 5, he says that the engulfed waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I looked to the roots of the mountains and sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Good news. He basically is saying, there was no chance for me to live. I was a goner. I had done the wrong thing. 
He recognises that. I think there is one thing that I feel like is missing from this, this psalm, this song from Jonah, and that's an obvious apology, an obvious repentance. But he does recognise that he was a goner, and if it wasn't for God, he was dead. He was barred in, as it were, in the depths of the sea. But the Lord brought him back from the pit. This is supposed to be an example of, of hope. Hope for, for Israel, hope for the people of God. The fact that God can actually redeem to the uttermost. There is no place where God can't come and will not come for His people. Notice again, for him, that God is the initiator. What could Jonah do? All Jonah could do was sink to the bottom. He couldn't possibly swim against these waves. He couldn't possibly swim against this current. He couldn't save himself. He was left at the mercy of God, and God was the initiator again. God brought him up to life, gave him life again. He says in verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I will shout for grateful praise, will sacrifice what I have vowed, and I will make good. I will say salvation is from the Lord. There is one interesting thing here, another interesting thing from Jonah is this song seems to be a song of a vindicated person. I think, I think he's still kind of missing the point that, that, it's, that he's not being vindicated, he's being rescued. That God has still got a mission for him and that God is going to pursue him until that is completed. He ran and then he remembers and his prayer rises up. But he does offer a valid point in verse 8, that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. This is the point when you find out whether or not that which you've been clinging to is of any worth. I've said for a long time that the amount of faith that you have, and Jesus makes this point as well, the, the amount of faith that you have is almost irrelevant. Jesus talks about the fact that if you have faith like a mustard seed, that's the only time he talks about that amount of faith. That, that's, he says if you have that much faith, just that little tiny bit, it's not the amount of faith that matters, it's the object of your faith. If the object of your faith is actually able to save you, that's good news. If you can trust that to save you, that's worth looking to. Jonah realizes in this moment that nothing else would have done. Everything else was worthless. There was no other God. There was no other idol. There was nothing else that he was claiming. There was not even his national heritage, which he seems so proud of. Part of the reason he runs is because he's a Jew and he is not going to the, in the enemy of God. Everything else falls away in this moment when his life is laid before him. And he gets a stark reality. It's only God. It's only God who can save you. 
And so don't turn to idols. Don't go to idols. Going to idols is to remove yourself from the very love of God. Because you are saying in that moment, when you look to something other than God, what you're actually saying in that moment is, well, sure, maybe I trust in God a little bit, but I also need these things over here. I I do trust God, but I need this thing over here. I need whatever it is, my wealth, my health, my family. That's the thing that gives me hope. I have actually met many years ago a, a Japanese man that came to stay with my family and he brought his daughter along. And I remember, I remember him saying, when we asked him, do you, do you trust in Jesus? And he said, oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes, very much, very much. I, I go to church on Sunday. I, I love going to church. And he said, and on Friday, I go to temple. I, I love going to temple. And it turned out that, that basically what he was doing is he had about five different gods because he figured that he was going to have a bet always. If he had a bet always, then he had a sure hope, a sure hope and expectation that maybe one of them would hear him. But all of them are deaf and blind and unable to save you except the living God, Yahweh. This is why God provides his son. The ultimate example of God's rescue for his people is his son. I love this statement from Jonah. He says, I will say, salvation comes to the Lord, or, sorry, salvation comes from the Lord, or salvation belongs to the Lord. We see this in verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Fairly unsanctimonious. He vomited him on the dry land. Now, I have to wonder in this moment, because Jonah has said basically, you've done this for me, you've saved me, you rescued me, I'm going to sacrifice to you in verse 9, this is what he says, I'm going to sacrifice for you, I have vowed and I will make good. I wonder if that's where his focus is right now. I wonder if he's vomited up on the, on the, on the sand, if he's like, Jerusalem, I'm going to the temple. Don't know exactly, but I do know that if he did, he would have missed a point entirely. Because God actually says that obedience is better than sacrifice. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel the prophet says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and in sacrifice as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of the ram. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and the arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. He's obviously talking to Saul, that that first king. But, But basically, don't we see this very thing from Jonah? For rebellion rebellion. That's exactly what happens. He, the word comes to him and says, go to Nineveh. And he rebels, he runs. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, like witchcraft, and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. And so on the one hand, he's, he's calling out against idolatry. He's talking about the foolishness of idolatry. And he's talking about the fact that he's going to, to make sacrifices and perform his vows and fulfill his vows to the Lord, all the while forgetting the great prophet Samuel said that God is less interested in sacrifice than he is about obedience. 
and that the very hard attitude that he's had in rebellion and the arrogance that he's had towards Nineveh is the very sins that he's speaking out against. He falls into the trap that he's, that he's so annoyed by Nineveh at. Thankfully, salvation comes from the Lord. The reality is that, as I've said, that He is this quintessential example of the fact that we are saved by grace from the very beginning to the very end. If you don't feel worthy, Jonah is a great example for you. Jonah was not worthy of any of the good that he gets from God. He was not worthy to have God look upon him and see him. But none of us are. You might not be actually drowning in an actual sea, a real sea, but you are but for the grace of God, but for the grace of Christ, drowning in a sea of sin. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Paul understands this very point that Jonah should have, that ultimately he's saved by grace, he's saved by mercy, that although he was unworthy of rescue, God rescued him, just like he's going to rescue Israel, just like he's going to not crush them completely, but he's going to remember his grace to them, just like he's going to with Nineveh as well. It's all by his grace. It's only ever been by his grace. If you're trying to cling to anything else, if you're, if you're trying to say, well, perhaps there is some sort of righteousness within me, I've finally been good enough. I've finally made the grade. God can finally give me an A plus and he can accept me and I can enter into salvation. If that's you, you've missed the point. It's by grace. It's by his mercy. And that's the beginning but it's not the end. It's not like, well, you've entered into the family of God. God's done that by His grace and mercy, and now it's all up to you. It's not like that. It's good to know that the salvation that's come to you, just like to Jonah, think about this, God has rescued Jonah and He doesn't let up. He rescues him from the belly of the fish and his direction, you'll see next week, his direction, no matter what Jonah's got in mind, maybe he thinks that he's going to Jerusalem now, whatever he thinks that he has in mind, God's like, go to Nineveh. Gone through all of this, back to Nineveh. God has good works for him to do, but those good works are not the basis of his salvation. It's true for us. Good works are not the basis of your salvation, but you have been saved for good works. God has good things for you to do. He has a, a ministry for you to do. You might not be a prophet. In fact, I can pretty well guarantee that you're not. You might never be a pastor or a preacher or uh, a lay leader or any of those sorts of things, but I guarantee you that God has a ministry for you. He has a ministry for all of His people. But never look to that in order to, to think that that's what satisfies God. It's all by His grace. There's a big fancy theological term called justification. Justification. 
Paul talks about this in Romans 5, chapter 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, it sounds like a big word, but it's really not. It just means that God has declared you righteous. Just like Jonah, you're missing the righteousness that you should have. The righteousness that would make you worthy of God coming into the depths of your life and rescuing you from the pit. But God declares you in Jesus Christ, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, that you are justified. It says in verse 2 that through whom we have gained access, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into His grace in which we now stand. So this is the ultimate beckon and call If you don't feel worthy, if you don't feel like you're living up to the expectation, understand that it is all by the righteousness of Christ. That if you have faith with Him, if you are joined to Him, if you are in covenant with Him, God has already declared you righteous. It's done. It's finished. But I also love that Jesus understood that maybe this would would be uh, uh, something that would be understood as the entrance in but not necessarily that which would keep us. I love that Jesus in John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's without exception. Every single person that the Father gives to Jesus, they will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. How's that for finality? How's that for a promise? Jonah finds this out in the belly of the sea that this God who had called him into ministry, into the ministry of the, the, the prophet, and had anointed him, he found out that it was not only that which God did at the beginning, but God was going to pursue him to the very end. That it was always by the fact that, that God would never cast him out. It's good that he was looking to the presence of God. It was good that he was looking to him. But ultimately, where was Jonah a day before? <laughs> running. (laughs) It's so good that Jonah comes to his senses and calls out upon the Lord, but we shouldn't forget in chapter 2 where Jonah was in chapter 1, running, trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. But where was he now? Rescued, redeemed, covered in fish vomit, sent back to Nineveh. That which God begins, he will not finish in a poor way. In fact, Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And so, salvation belongs to the Lord. From the very beginning of the process, where God declares you righteous in Jesus Christ by faith, through grace, and when you stand before him, Nobody will ever be able to say anything other than Jonah than that salvation belongs to the Lord. That's your confidence. That's your hope. And that's also your boast. Do not be found boasting in anything else because anything else is but idolatry. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the fact that you have redeemed us by your grace. We look to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith and we know and we have confidence that because he has 
done this because you have given us to him and we have come to him that he will by no means cast us out. Lord, I pray for every person here who feels like they're not good enough, that they're not adequate. Lord, don't let that be something that would make them have resistance to coming to you. Let them remember that none of us are worthy. None of us have ever lived up to the righteousness that you require, but that you have provided it for us and rescued us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you for these things and for all that you do. And we pray you get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.